Good morning, Faith Family. If you do not have a Bible, you need a Bible. Uh, there are Bibles in the back. Uh, there are also some Bibles up front here in baskets. And we are going to be in Acts chapter 15 this morning. So I'll give you a chance to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. I will do the same. All right, so for those of you who don't know me, my name is Christoph. I am the minister to youth and families here at Faith, and I am so blessed to be able to continue worshiping with you this morning from God's Word. Uh, this morning, we are going to be continuing in Acts, this incredible history of the church it is, as it is commissioned by Jesus, as they are filled with the Holy Spirit, and as the church spreads through Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. This is our history it's kind of ominous. All right. This is our history as the body of Christ. And as we read church history, uh, we learn what it looks like to be the church, what it looks like to worship as the church, and what it looks like to serve others as the church. And we are going to be finishing up Acts 15 this morning, starting in verse 36. And we're going to be picking, off, picking up where Pastor Robbie left off last week. Um, let's read the whole passage, and then we will uh, break some of it down. So Acts 15, starting in verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them at Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, uh, strengthening the churches. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you um, that we were able to celebrate and proclaim who you are and what you have done through song. Lord, thank you that we were able to physically partake um, in, in your good news, that you, um, you, were, you were broken, you were sent to the cross to die for us, um, but that the story does not end there, that you rose from the grave. Lord, as we continue worshiping through your word this morning, Lord, I pray that your truth would ring. Lord, I pray that you um, would help me to um, just be faithful to your word this morning. Lord, I pray that, that your truth would pierce our hearts so that we may love you more and that we may have uh, more and more opportunities to love and serve those around us. God, help us to be humble people who recognize that we exist in a broken world but that you have had a better plan and that you are redeeming this world. Help us to be a part of it. Lord, help us to hear the truth of you in this passage. May your name be proclaimed this morning, Lord. We love you. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so last week, Pastor Robbie took us through a majority of Acts 15 where the Jerusalem Council took place. Uh, and what happened is those outside of the line of Israel were hearing the gospel. They were believing the good news of Jesus, that he died for their sins, rose from the grave, conquering death, and they were being filled with the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, the question that was being battled among the church was, what saves a man or a woman? What saves a man or a woman? Is a man or woman required to keep works in order to be saved, in order to keep the Holy Spirit, in order to have salvation? 
If the Gentiles don't do what the Old Testament law required them to do, are they saved? And the answer was, and it continues to be to this day, that Jesus is who and what saves, period. Amen. He is, as the writer of the letter of Hebrews puts it, the author and perfecter of our faith. It was with this that Paul and Barnabas and a few others, with this news, with this that came from the Jerusalem council, uh, they went out and delivered this good news to the churches filled with Gentiles. And it's coming off of this church meeting and subsequent delivery of this good news that we find ourselves in Acts 15, verse 36. So I'm going to read verse 36 again, right? After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. So Paul, post-Jerusalem council, wants to get the dynamic duo back together to visit the cities where they previously visited to check on the churches where they had proclaimed the word. And I have to imagine that Paul is incredibly excited to see the work that the Lord has done in these cities. Right? We read in Acts chapter 13 and 14 that Paul and Barnabas, they were going into cities, they were proclaiming God's word, but there was persecution at hand. Right? There, um, there was persecution, there was um, uh, stonings that were happening, and there was uh, persecution that was happening. But they were also seeing the incredible seeds of the gospel being planted, lives being changed, entire communities being changed. It's, uh, this dynamic duo kind of reminds me of Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen getting back together to win another NBA championship back in the 90s. I'm a, I'm a Chicago sports fan. I was trying to think of like a Green Bay one, and all I could come up with is, it's like Aaron Rodgers and himself, the dynamic duo. <laughs> So God does this incredible work through the unified mission of believers. Unity, unified. They were working together with the same goal, the same mission. And Jesus actually prays for this in John chapter 17, that we would be one, we would be unified so that he would be glorified. John 17, 20 through 23 says, this is Jesus praying, which, by the way, John chapter 17 is an incredible prayer. Jesus is praying for his church. Jesus is praying for us. He says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Check out what that unity does. So that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. Incredible things happen when we are unified together around a singular focus, a singular goal. Those who have been transformed radically by Jesus cannot help but stick out in a world that has been shattered by the effects of sin. And while one candle may stick out, imagine what happens when multiple candles are lit together and they are joined together in a dark world. It shines even brighter. The good news of who Jesus is, what he does, and how he is working in the world shines even brighter when we are unified around him. And some of you, 
know the power of the church in working such a way. Some of you have seen this incredible thing where you have seen incredible works done that you cannot help but attribute it to the work that God has done. And some of you have partaken in the absolute joy that it is to labor together side by side with brothers and sisters to be the hands and feet of God here in this dark world. And Paul and Barnabas encountered this back in Acts 13 and 14 as God moved them to preach the gospel for a couple of years and they saw incredible fruit through it. So it's no wonder that Paul wants to repeat this trip with his brother in Christ, Barnabas. But it doesn't really shake out that way, right? We continue on in Acts 15, verses 37 and 38. It says, Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take, them, take with them the one that had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia, had not gone with them to the work. So there was another one who was a part of this team. But he dropped out for reasons that were never actually quite given. John, called Mark, originally joined up with Paul and Barnabas on the missionary journey. We actually read about this back in Acts chapter 13, verse 13. It says this, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos to Persia to Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. What's interesting is that this is all we read. This is all we read about it. And there are those who give speculation about why John Mark had left. Maybe the kitchen got too hot, right? And Mark abandoned them in fear of persecution. Because this missionary journey was incredibly fruitful, but it was not without hardships. There were beatings and stonings and threats all throughout the journey. But Paul, of course, believed it all to be absolutely worth it. Now, there's also speculation that maybe John Mark was lazy. He didn't pull his weight. And that's why he left. But ultimately, we're not given the reason as to why John Mark left. Just enough of a reason to say that it was an error in Paul's eyes, and he believed that it would not be a wise decision for John Mark to go back with them. Now, it shouldn't be surprising to us that Barnabas wants to bring John Mark back onto the trip. Barnabas, if you remember, is known as the encourager. That's literally what his name means. He is known for his compassion towards others. And we read this earlier on in Acts as well. Um, we read that his, his Jewish name given to him by his parents was Joseph, but it was the apostles who called him Barnabas. In Acts 4, 36, thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. So this is kind of Barnabas's thing, right? Barnabas is the encourager. He is the one who probably sees in others the things that are missed by most. And if you ever have had the opportunity to serve along someone who is like this, you know the absolute joy it is to serve along someone like this, but you know the absolute frustration that it is to serve along someone like this. You're like, what? Them? Are you, are you kidding me? Like, I know, I know God will use anyone, but like, them. <laughs> and this, of course, isn't just Barnabas's personality. It's not just because of who he is, but this is a spiritual gift. This is the Holy Spirit working through him because this is what God does uh, to us, right? While others look at us through the lens of the world, God looks at us as we were meant to and made to be. The world may look at us as pieces of biology floating on a giant space rock around a giant hot star, but God 
looks at us and he sees sons and daughters made in his image. He sees that we are stained by sin, yet by his grace, his grace, he paid the price so that we may be redeemed, that we may be filled with his Holy Spirit, so that we may live lives to his glory. And he knows that no one is beyond forgiveness. No one is beyond his love. There is no hole too deep that God cannot reach down and grab you out of. It feels sometimes, especially for those who may have started this journey, who may have committed to Christ and stumbled backwards, it is easy sometimes to feel like you are beyond his love and grace. You may feel a lot like John Mark here who started the journey and then bailed out. And maybe you're feeling this way this morning, right now. You stumbled into church, you began to walk with Jesus years ago, and it was incredible the work that you saw him do, uh, but, but then that began to erode away. The waves of the world came in and began to erode that away, and it feels like your walk with Jesus has taken a backseat to the, the demands of the day. And I want to tell you, if you feel that way, if you feel that way, spoiler, by the way, we'll, we'll read about what happens with John Mark later on, but if you feel that way, know that you are not nearly as far away from God as you think you are, and that his grace, his mercy, his love, and forgiveness are just as here for you today as they were that day that you committed to Christ. So, Paul and Barnabas disagree. But because they are Christians filled with grace and love, they obviously make things up and they see eye to eye and they go on happy, right? Wrong. 39 through 41. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Celia, strengthening the churches. Not only did they disagree, but they had a sharp disagreement, is what Scripture says, sharp disagreement, which is the kind of thing I expect a teenager to go and tell their parent after they got into an all-out yelling match with their teacher and got sent home from school, right? What are you talking about, Mom? I just got into a, sh a sharp disagreement with my teacher. We didn't see eye to eye. This has a heavy tone to it. This sharp disagreement was heavy enough to a point of where Barnabas and Paul, the dynamic duo, spent years together proclaiming the gospel, going through persecution, going through hardship, seeing incredible fruits of their labor, they are no longer together. Some of the other translations translate that word to asunder, which to me just feels heavy. There was an asundering that happened between Paul and Barnabas. And if you're like me at all, some of you have experienced this. Some of you who have been here in this church right here at Faith, have experienced something like this. You have co-labored with brothers and sisters in the gospel, serving faithfully alongside each other, 
presenting the gospel to those who needed, helping to feed the hungry, helping to clothe those in need, studying God's word together, breaking bread inside each other's homes, coming to the table and proclaiming who Jesus is together. And for some of you, 10, 20, 30 years, you have been here and you have experienced this exact pain over the course of the 10, 20, 30 years of seeing a brother or sister separate from this body, from working alongside you, from ministries. I mean, a brief, a brief testimony of mine, for those of you who don't know me, I was saved here in this church. I am uh, I'm in my mid-30s now, um, but when I was a teenager, I was angry, I was an atheist, I had a whole lot of pain. And through this church, through Faith Church, through the youth ministry and other ministries at this church, God took my heart that was, it was a stone heart and he gave it flesh. He chiseled the stone away, he showed me that I was forgiven, I was loved, and that I had a greater purpose than what the world was presenting before me. Through this church here. And then I moved away, and then in 2016, my wife and I had an opportunity to come back here, which was just incredible. Sarah and I moved back here to Peshko to serve this very church. We had been gone for uh, seven, eight years, and one of the things I was most excited about was getting to serve alongside some of those who were part of the very same ministries that God used to save a very angry and very hurt teenager all those years ago. And we have been here now for six years. And over the six years, we have seen this happen. I have felt this pain. We have seen those who we have served alongside. We have seen incredible things done. We've seen them separate. And it's painful. It hurts. But, but I am thankful I am so thankful for the testimony of Paul and Barnabas here. I am so thankful that Luke decided to include this in his account of Acts because I think there is some incredible encouragement to be taken away from Acts 15. So, if you are like me at all and you first read this passage, the first thing you thought was, who won the argument? Right? Who won? Who is standing in the middle of the ring? They've got their boxing gloves on. The ref is holding their arm up, declaring them the winner. Was it right for Paul to deny John Mark the opportunity to come with them on the next trip? Was it right for Barnabas to stand up for John Mark and extend an arm of grace for the past mistakes he made? Here's the thing. We're never told. We're never given that answer. And it's interesting that we're never told it because, one... Obviously, this was important enough for Luke, the writer of this book. Luke wrote Acts. It was important enough for him to include in this chapter. But two, it's not like Paul has a, uh, doesn't have a history of calling people out. If you read his letters, Paul is more than willing to call people out when they are actively harming the witness of the gospel. We, we have the receipts. He does it. But he doesn't do it here, right? There doesn't seem to be a clear right or wrong in this situation. All it gives us is the facts. Paul and Barnabas disagree, they separate, and they both move on. Like, here's the thing. I think the world wants us to have a declared winner. 
The world wants us to look at this passage and go, who won? Who was right? Who was wrong? You can see that so clearly in our political arena right now, right? You are either left or you are right. You are either conservative or you are liberal. You are either this or that. And the question is not how does the world want us to move? How does God want us to move? And that is with humility. With humility. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 says this. What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you do not ask and do not receive because you, are, you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend with the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is of no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy, jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. The fights of the world, the arguments of the world lead toward destruction. But humbled hearts, hearts with a posture of humility, lead towards grace. Disagreements among Christians, among brothers, among sisters should be handled humbly with humility. There are times when we disagree and we act as though our position is clearly gospel truth, as if you were to look inside the Bible, you were to look inside God's word and find that your position is completely and accurately spelled out in scripture, right? Like, like Paul and Barnabas could like look, they could, they could open up uh, Leviticus and go, um, yeah, when someone goes with you on a missionary journey, but then leaves through reasons you find morally unacceptable, do not allow them to come on you, uh, come with you on a second time, especially if you just just recently had an important council in Jerusalem about how the Gentiles are to be saved. Leviticus 83, verse 14. Not actually in there, right? It isn't clearly spelled out. And so, it's on Paul and Barnabas to humbly disagree. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, spells this out. Romans 14, 1 through 5 says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Do not quarrel over opinions. One person may believe eating anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day better than another, and another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Here's the thing. If the early church was not immune to disagreements on things, some of which trivial and some of which were important, then we certainly in 2022 will not be either. What grieves me and breaks my heart is that it feels like the church has gotten, it feels like we have gotten worse at discerning what is a worthwhile disagreement and what is a trivial one. I think we've experienced this over the last couple of years especially. 
I have experienced this locally, and I have seen it globally across the church. Those who leave churches, ministries, co-laborers in the gospel for petty, insignificant reasons, and it goes to harm our witness. I, I used to serve with someone who referred to this affectionately as taking my ball and going home. Because kids, when we were younger, you didn't have like Amazon to buy Frisbees. And so if you had like the one friend who had a Frisbee, you were inviting them to everything because they had the Frisbee. But if they got upset, they took their Frisbee and went home. <laughs> but we treat it as if the commission that was given to us by Jesus himself is some sort of game to play, that we get to choose or some sort of affinity club that we decide to join. And we're able to join and leave it on a whim. Church, this is not just some game we play. This is not just some club that we are a part of, but rather we are the body that God is using to reveal his glory throughout the ends of the earth. When we gather here on a Sunday morning, we are gathering to proclaim, proclaim who he is, what he has done, and we are fervently praying and seeking what he is going to do here in our community and across the globe, and then we are asking the question, how do we get to be a part of it? And so here's what I think the discerning marker is for disagreeing well. It's pride. Who is at the center of attention? Who are you trying to defend? Pride places ourselves at the center, effectively making us the deciders of what is right and wrong. And there is only one who gets to be the decider of, who, of what is right and wrong, and that is God. Psalm 10, verse 3 and 4 says, For the wicked boasts of the desire of his soul. The one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord in the pride of his face. The wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. And here's the thing, this tracks completely in line with what Jesus prayed back in John 17, right? If Jesus prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one, then when we are not unified for proud reasons, when we are not unified because we are placing ourselves at the center, then we are effectively going against the exact thing that Jesus prayed for. Lord, have mercy on us for the petty things that we have fought over and placed ourselves at the center for. That said, I was, I was really surprised and taken off guard as, as I read through and prayed through Acts 15 this past week. Because I believe that what we read is not Paul and Barnabas placing themselves at the center. The first time I read this passage, I thought we were seeing two contradictory sections, right? I thought we were seeing early on there was this beautiful unity displayed among the church that, listen, Jesus alone is the one who saves the Gentiles, right? And they were excited about this unity. They were unified. All right, it is all about Jesus. We are going to go and proclaim that. And even Paul and Barnabas then go out and deliver that to, to churches. And it is exciting. There is unity. How do we go from unity to disunity so quickly? But I don't think that's what's happening here. I think the reason both Paul and Barnabas are disagreeing is not because they think they are right or wrong, but it's because they care for those outside of themselves. Barnabas, the encourager, wants to bring John Mark back onto the mission field. He believes that there is redemption for John Mark. That's beautiful. 
Paul, Paul cares so deeply for the mission that he does not want there to be any hindrance to the gospel. He doesn't want any potential barrier to get in the way of God's word being proclaimed. This mindset Paul actually writes about in his letter to the church in, in Philippi, in Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 4 says this, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy of being the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And here's the thing. Why do we have this mind? Why, why is this encouragement in Christ? We live this way because we ourselves have been treated this way. If you are a Christian, if you have encountered the living God, if the Holy Spirit dwells inside you, we love and care because we have been loved and cared for by God. And this is what Paul continues to say in Philippians chapter 2, right? In verses 5 through 11, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Having been found in human form, he humbled himself. God humbled himself. Just take a moment to think about that. The creator of the universe humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the mark of a unified people, that we are loved by God in such a way that we seek out and love those in such a way. And I think this is why we don't get a neat and tidy reason for Paul and Barnabas separating. Who is right? Who is wrong? It doesn't matter. What matters is that they were both seeing the broken and lost. They were both so affected by this great news that they wanted to go out and proclaim that Jesus is Lord where they had the opportunity to. By the way, looking at the three, so this is kind of interesting. Paul, we are going to continue to read about Paul and hear, hear how God is going to continue to use him in his missionary journeys, and it's incredible. Barnabas, we don't hear again from Barnabas. And you know what? I have a feeling just knowing and hearing and reading the little bit about Barnabas that we do, he's probably okay with it. In fact, that's probably the way he would have had it. John Mark, the one who they were disputing over, Paul, later on in two of his letters, Colossians and 2 Timothy, goes on to commend him and recommend him to the churches. Talk about redemption, right? The one that Paul did not want to bring on with him, he later goes on in later letters to uh, recommend and commend to other churches. Oh, and by the way, he writes this little thing called the gospel according to Mark, which, yeah, right? It's awesome. It's awesome. And I love it. And it's what happens when we see a unified people loved by such an incredible God go and do incredible things and love other people in the way that they have been loved. 
Uh, I want to welcome the worship band back up, if you guys don't mind. I have just like two more things, but as you guys are on your way up, I want to say this. I want to say this. To those in here who have yet to confess Jesus as Lord, I want you to know that there is no better day than today. Ask for forgiveness of your sins. God is faithful to forgive. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and be a beacon of light in a world that is marred in darkness. The wages of sin is death. The eternal consequence of sin is real, but Jesus offers a better way. It is a message that is more important than any disagreement or quarrel the world may throw at you. To the saints in here who have labored with others and have experienced the great joy and great loss that that entails, I challenge you to keep Jesus at the center. Forgive as many times as you have been forgiven. Continue to move forward for the sake of the greatest news the world has ever heard. I want to finish with Paul's words in Romans 8, 12 through 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. Amen.